Good morning. This is the time of the year that we set aside to remember the coming of Christ into the world. And there's a wonderful Christmas carol that we often sing at this time of the year, written by Charles Wesley. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. And the second verse to that Christmas carol goes like this. Hail the heaven-born prince of peace. Hail the son of righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. And that's the title of my message today, born to give us second birth. So let's turn to John chapter 3. We'll read from verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus was a very prominent Pharisee. He was also a very prominent member of the Sanhedrin, which was the main ruling body of the Jews in Judea at the time of Jesus, and it comprised of 71 members. Its president was the high priest, and it consisted of members of the high priest's family, prominent Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes, and their responsibility was to oversee uh, criminal and civil legislation pertaining to religious law, but they had no authority to carry out capital punishment. That's why when they wanted to put Jesus to death, they had to go to the Roman procurator, which was Pontius Pilate, to get him to put Jesus to death. And he comes to Jesus at night, possibly because of his very prominent position, he didn't want to be seen to openly having a conversation with Jesus and risk disfavor with his fellow Pharisees who had an intense dislike for Jesus and wanted to put him to death. And he comes to Jesus and he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answers him and says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The phrase born again means to be born 
from above. And Jesus answers a question that Nicodemus doesn't even ask. Jesus knew Nicodemus's heart, and he goes straight to the heart or the very core of Nicodemus's problem, and that was his need for spiritual transformation and regeneration that can only be accomplished by the Holy Spirit in our lives. And Nicodemus was quite astonished at what Jesus said to him. Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother, his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, most assuredly. And where Jesus says most assuredly, is what he's saying is what I'm telling you is true. This is the truth. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So where Jesus says here, that we need to be born of water and the Spirit, Jesus is not referring to literal water, but the need for cleansing. And whenever you read in scriptures and in the Old Testament where water is used in a figurative sense, it's referring to cleansing, particularly when it's used in conjunction with the Holy Spirit. So what Jesus is referring to here is the need for spiritual cleansing and purification which can only be accomplished when we come to Christ, acknowledge that we are sinners, put our faith in what He did for us and the Spirit of God regenerates us. And where Jesus says the wind blows where it wishes, His point here is that the wind cannot be controlled and understand by us, but we witness its effects. And it's the same with the Holy Spirit. When we are changed on the inside by the Holy Spirit, other people can witness and see the change that has taken place inside of you because what of what God has done for us. And Nicodemus, again, is quite astonished at what Jesus is communicating to him. In verse 9, Nicodemus answers him and says, How can these things be? How's this possible? And Jesus answered him and said, You are the teacher of Israel, and you do not know these things. So, 
Nicodemus was actually a renowned teacher, and he had very high standing amongst uh, the religious leaders and people of Israel. Yet, Jesus' statement to him, you are not a teacher, but you are the teacher of Israel, and you don't understand these things. And here we see Nicodemus's spiritual bankruptcy, that he didn't understand the need for spiritual cleansing and transformation, which was clearly taught in the Old Testament. And Jesus was quite astonished that he didn't understand this. And if he didn't understand this, how much more did the rest of the people of Israel didn't understand the need for spiritual cleansing and for rebirth? And that's why Jesus emphasized, he said, listen to me, what I'm telling you is true. Unless you are born again by the Spirit of God, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus goes on and he says to Nicodemus, most assuredly, what I'm telling you is true. We speak what we know, testify of what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. This just indicated Nicodemus' unbelief as well as the unbelief of so many of the religious leaders and people of Israel. They did not accept what Christ was witnessing to them and communicating to them. And unless you're born again by the Spirit of God, you cannot see the kingdom of God. I have told you of earthly things and you do not believe. How will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So where Jesus talks about here, the Son of Man must be lifted up, he was talking about the manner of his death, where he was going to be lifted up on the cross to die for our sins. And he relates it as well, too, to what happened in Numbers 21, where the people of Israel were disobedient, they grumbled against God, and serpents came into the Israelite camp and started biting the people, and they started dying from the snakes that were biting them. And so then they repented, and they came to Moses, and they said, look, we've done wrong in the sight of God. So God instructed Moses, he said, put a bronze serpent up on a pole, and if anybody gets bitten by a snake, if they look at that bronze serpent that's on that pole, they will live. So the illustration here is that they looked to that bronze serpent that they might live physically. But Jesus said, I'm going to be lifted up. I'm going to die on a cross. And I'm doing that so that you can live for eternity. 
forever. And that's what he's talking about here. It says that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. To perish is to go to a lost eternity, to the hell of fire forever. And God doesn't want anybody to perish. That's why our salvation was never an afterthought in the plan and purpose of God. The very first thing God ever did, even before he created us, was to plan our salvation. That's the amazing love that God has for us. And John 3.16, we know that verse so well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus' mission, he came to this earth, born of a virgin, went to the cross to die for us, displays the absolute intensity and incredible greatness of the love that God has for a sinful humanity that is in rebellion against him, but yet he still made a way for us to be reconciled to him. God's amazing love. And there's a remarkable, an absolutely remarkable presentation of God's dealings with man and the plan of salvation that's given in Romans chapter 8, in two verses, Romans 8, verse 29 and 30. And in those two verses, Paul makes a summary of five links in the chain of salvation. Two of those links in the chain of salvation lay in the past. Two of those links in the chain of salvation are in the present. And one will happen in the future. So Romans 8 verse 29 and 30 Paul writes there, he says, For those God foreknew. And if you're taking notes, and if you want to underline that word, underline that word in your Bible, foreknew. He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, and those he predestined he also called. And those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. So in sequence, those five links in our salvation are, number one, God's foreknowledge, which is something that happened in the past. Our predestination, which is also in the past. Our calling, which is present. Our justification, which is also present. 
and what is going to happen in the future is our glorification. So the first link in the chain of our salvation is based on God's foreknowledge. Before God created the world, he knew every single person that would respond to the offer that was made on Calvary. God's foreknowledge is amazing. And he actually reminds the people of Israel in Isaiah 46. And he says in Isaiah 46 verse 8, he says, Remember this and show yourselves men. Recall to mind, fix it in your minds. O you transgressors, remember the former things of old. I am God. There's no one. Absolutely no one who is like me. Declaring the end from the beginning. God knows all of history from the beginning right to the end. He knows each one of us so uniquely. He knows exactly how our lives are going to pan out from beginning to the end. So because of God's foreknowledge, he knows exactly who's going to react positively to what Jesus did on the cross for us. And as a result of God's foreknowledge, God has chosen us in Christ to be holy and blameless in his sight. And we are predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Ephesians 1 verse 4 tells us, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, God chose us before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. So, Predestination, the Oxford Dictionary defines predestination as an outcome or a course of events determined in advance by divine will. But, although God knows everybody that is going to respond to the offer that is made because of what he's done for us on the cross, God hasn't selected a certain number of people to be saved, okay? The gospel is a gift that is available to every single man and woman. It's to whosoever. And it doesn't negate the responsibility of human will as well, where we respond to the gospel message, realize that we are sinners and that works is not going to save us. Being a good person is not going to save us. It's only because of what Jesus did and accomplished for us on the cross that it is by grace and grace alone that we experience God's salvation in our lives. It's wonderful. 
The third link in the chain was formed when we received Jesus as our Savior at some time in our lives, when the Holy Spirit regenerated us and we are called from darkness into His marvelous light and we become new creations in Christ. Paul writes in Corinthians 2 verse, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17, he says, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, the old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. And where Paul talks here about us becoming a new creation, it describes something that is created at a new level of excellence. And that is when we experience the new birth, when we are regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And as a result of our conversion and coming to Christ, the next thing that God does is He justifies us, our justification. We are justified in Christ as if we had never sinned when we come to Him. So Jesus dies on the cross for us, pays the price for our sin. And when we come to Him and we are regenerated by the Spirit of God, God imputes His righteousness to us. So we come into right standing with God, not because of anything that we've done, but because of what Jesus has done for us. None of us can go to heaven one day and, and boast about the fact that we did more than somebody else to actually get into heaven because it's not by works. It's purely on the basis of what Jesus did and accomplished for us. And we come into right standing with him we are justified because of the work of the cross. And then the fifth link, I'm going through this very quickly. I mean, what we're doing here this morning, you can actually do a couple of Bible studies on over a period of a couple of weeks. So the fifth link in the chain of our salvation, which will occur in the future, is when Jesus comes again. And Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, and it's interesting, Paul only spent three weeks with the Thessalonians. He taught them more about the second coming and the rapture of the church than anything else in the short period of time that he spent with them. And we have a lot that he writes in the first letter and the second letter to the Thessalonians about this. And in 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul writes there and he says, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who've fallen asleep. Now, when the Bible talks about people falling asleep, it's what they used to refer to in those days as people dying. They've died. They've fallen asleep. They're not with us anymore. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain 
until the coming of the Lord. Okay, and the coming of the Lord in this context that he's referring to here is our gathering to him, the rapture of the church. Remember, rapture of the church, second coming, two separate events. For the Lord himself, verse 16, will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we will always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. So the word caught up, you don't find the word rapture in scripture but we get the word rapture the word caught up there in the greek the greek word for that is hopozo which means to be taken away suddenly snatched away suddenly in the twinkling of an eye the latin word is raptura from where we get the transliteration into english the word rapture which means to get taken away Suddenly. So, at that event, all those who have died will be raised from the grave. Not that they are in the grave, they are present with the Lord, but everybody participates in that event. Those that are living will be changed, our mortal bodies will be then clothed with immortality. It will be the great day of our glorification. Our spirits have been regenerated, but we still have this flesh to deal with. In the flesh, in a twinkling of an eye, we'll be changed. And Paul in Corinthians talks about death will be swallowed up in victory. And from then on, right throughout eternity, we will live as glorified beings. It's amazing what Jesus has done and accomplished for us. We remember at this time the first advent. And Jesus is coming back again. The second advent. And if we understand scripture and we understand biblical prophecy, that event is not in the too distant future. And the encouragement for us, we living in very troublesome times. And my encouragement to every one of you. Jesus often used the words, fear not. He spoke to his disciples in John chapter 14. He said, do not let your hearts be troubled because we can be troubled. That's a natural human emotion. And we often get troubled about things and we worry about things that actually are just insignificant and minor and then we end up thinking why did we actually worry about in the first place and Jesus said in John chapter 14 do not let your hearts be troubled believe in God believe also in me in my father's house there are many mansions if it were not so I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. It's amazing. God has prepared for every single person that has been regenerated by the Spirit of God. There's a place prepared for us in heaven. Hmm? I go to prepare a place for you. 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. A reference there to us being caught up to meet with him in the air. That's a reference in Scripture. First time that it's mentioned that we will be caught up to meet with the Lord in the air. And Jesus' encouragement, do not let your hearts be troubled. Paul, when he spoke about the rapture of the church in the passage we read in Thessalonians, he said, encourage one another with these words. Our life down here is very, very temporal against the backdrop of eternity. And we need to look up, keep our focus on the Lord, keep our focus um, in the Word, and the encouragement in the Scriptures as well. The writer to the Hebrews says, Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, even so the more as you see the day approaching. Let's pray. Before we do that, if you've never been born again by the Spirit of God, and the Scriptures are very clear, that unless you are born again, you cannot, it's impossible, to enter into the kingdom of God. It's only by regeneration through the Holy Spirit, when we are born again, when we come to the Lord, we repent of our sin, acknowledge that we are sinners, put our faith in the sacrifice, in the substitutional sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross, shed his blood, because the scripture says, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. If you've never experienced that, please come and talk to me or to one of the elders or leaders after this meeting and we can just chat with you and pray with you and encourage you. And Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity just to gather together to remember what you have done for us, that you were born, that you came to this earth as a virgin, that you came to die on the cross, that if we put our faith and trust in you, that we will not perish, but that we will have eternal life. And that is your desire for every single person, is to come to you, not to perish, but to have eternal life. And we just thank you again for the way, Lord, that you have made for us to be reconciled to you. And I'm just going to pray a blessing on you. This is the, it's known as the ironic blessing from Numbers, where the Lord instructed Moses to speak to Aaron and to say, this is the way that you are to continually bless the people of Israel. So I'm praying this blessing over all of us here. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and may the Lord give you peace. Only the Lord can give us peace in these troubled times that passes all understanding because our hope, 
and our faith and our trust is in him. God bless you. Felix.